Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is episode two of the GeoMob podcast. This is our first real episode after our brief teaser episode that I put out. Today, I'm going to be talking with Stephen Feldman, who is a very longtime GeoMobster based in London. He attends GeoMob. He has spoken to GeoMob. He's also been a sponsor of GeoMob for many years. And he and I will be the two uh, co-hosts of this podcast. So we'll be talking about many different things, different themes of the geo industry, interviewing people from that speak at GeoMobs. And so today I thought I'd kick things off by interviewing Stephen and he can tell us a bit about his background. Stephen has many, many different projects and has been very active in the geospace for a long time. His current project or one of his current projects is Mappery.org, which is a non-commercial project that's just about the love of maps, uh, kind of crowdsourcing interesting maps. And we'll get into that a bit more in the coming weeks and months as the podcast continues. My own project is something called the OpenCage Geocoder. We provide a geocoding API based on open data. So if you need any geocoding, please give us a try. And we'll also be, be tracking that in the coming weeks and months. So that will be kind of the, one of the ongoing themes of the podcast is how our different projects are doing. And hopefully other people can learn from, from the ups and downs of our progress. But let's dive into our discussion today. Stephen, welcome. Uh, we've talked for a long time about doing a, a GeoMob podcast, so I'm glad we're, the wheels are finally in motion. But you also have a long history in Geo, many, many different roles. So take us through your background. What, what, uh, what got you into Geo? Okay. What have you done? Hi, Ed. Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me to join you on the podcast. I've probably got a pretty non-traditional background for someone who's built a career in Geo. I've got no technology skills at all. I graduated with an economics degree, and I had my first job in the building materials industry for nearly 20 years, working my way up the corporate ladder. The first time that I stumbled into Geo was when I was looking for something new to do, and a friend asked me to help him out for a few months when he was merging his data business with an internet startup that became whereonearth.com, which ultimately, as you remember, got bought by Yahoo. That's right. And so within a, within a couple of years of running a division of one of the largest glass manufacturers of in the world, I found myself working in a dot-com in that crazy period just before 2000 when just adding the dot and the com to your company's name could double the value of your business. And um, if you think we've had some wacky pitches at Geomob over the years, I promise you they were nothing compared to some of the flaky people that we met in those first few years of the dot-com era. But Where on Earth was quite a success. I became quite a, quite a nice business. Where on Earth was a success, but behind the scenes it was uh, a crazy experience because it was lots of people who had vision, but truthfully, none of us had done this dot-com stuff before. You know, one guy had run a small GIS business, another guy had run a, a marketing business, our CEO, I think he'd, uh, he'd worked for the people who made Trivial Pursuit. You know, I mean, this was not an internet techie background. You know, we had a few technical people, obviously, that we hired, but in the management, this was not, a, not the traditional background that you'd have for a dot-com. And yes, it was a success. And it was the first global geocoder that was ever produced, you know, which at the time was quite an incredible thing for a small company to be doing. Still quite a difficult thing for a small company to be. <laughs> so, yeah, my full credit. Yeah. yeah. And actually, 
there's probably a conversation we can have later on about some of the uh, the early stage of building a global geocoder because you know now OpenCage your business is sort of standing on the shoulders of all this work that was done many many years previously and in fact I would guess some of that code and some of that data has found its way through open data into the OpenCage geocoder so that's the one for another day but just to finish the story about my career, at the height of where on earth we were burning money at a prodigious rate is a, is a polite way to put it. You know, I mean, the expenditure was massive, the revenues were tiny. And in 2002, the company was struggling. I had the opportunity with some colleagues to buy out the boring, dull GIS business that was the only significant revenue generating activity that we on earth had and um, in 2002 we bought that business out it was just at the start of the e-government boom in the united kingdom and people were desperate to get web mapping onto their government websites and we were in the right place at the right time and five years later we sold it to map info for quite a lot of money so um, in a relatively short period, I built up my first company in Geo, sold it, made a bit of money, and then I got appointed by MapInfo, first of all, to run their UK operations, merging several businesses together to form what became the whole of MapInfo UK. And subsequently, I headed up product management and industry strategy for the EMEA region of MapInfo for a year or two. And then in 2009, MapInfo had their fourth reorganization since I'd been working for them. And I opted for a generous redundancy package and started my consultancy business and started Angel Investment. And for the last 10 years, I've been advising tech businesses, primarily in the geospace, but not only working around strategy and execution. And I've also been an angel investor, making a number of investments, several of them with you, Ed, as you know, and probably that's something we can talk about in a future podcast. Yeah, that's definitely something we'll go deeper on. That was also the subject of talk you gave at Geomop London, I think, for a year ago or so. Yeah. Or yeah. Like that. But you've also been uh, very active kind of on the, the open source side of things. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so um, when I was at MapInfo, I saw two threats to the business, which I we were talking about at sort of the senior level. And the two threats to the business were open data and open source. And there was a pattern because they were both highly disruptive. And since I left MapInfo, I've been very involved with OSGO. Now I'm a charter member of OSGO, which is sort of the those people who are entrusted with protecting the core ethos of the organization. I chaired FOSFOG, which is the global conference in Nottingham in 2013. And I've served on a number of groups. And, and I'm a, I, I am a passionate advocate for open source. I can't really see a reason why we would be developing software in a proprietary framework any longer. Well, 
Thank you very much. So much more to be achieved through collaboration as opposed to sort of the the closed environments of proprietary software. But that's one again for another day, I think. Yes, well, I I do share that view in in general. And uh, as I said, thanks for all your efforts there as someone who runs a business based on open data and and uses a lot of open source software. But Stephen, I'm I'm excited to have you with us because you have wealth of experience that you have, having worn many different hats as doer, as advisor, as investor. And I think I think what's good is that this is also representative of what we're trying to do with Geomob as an event of getting, we have startups, but it's not a startup pitch event. We get hobbyists. You know, we have a lot of people from the, the OpenStreetMap community, which have, of course, originally got started in London, uh, but it's not, you know, a hack event. We also, of course, have people from the ESRIs and Ordnance Surveys of this world and larger companies, but it's not formal professional gathering. So it's, it's very broad and diverse. And that's kind of what I hope also for the podcast. Anyone who's doing anything interesting, as we say in our GeoMob tagline, you know, for anything interesting in Geo for fun or profit. What are the trends that get you excited these days? That's a good question. And to be honest, I worry that I don't really know where the cutting edge stuff is happening anymore. I found my way into Geo in a vector rules environment, you know, and I understand vector geography and how all that stuff works and how it can be applied. And I get the tech that you can use to do that. But today, geospace is so much bigger than just GIS. And vector is only a small part of the picture. We've got petabyte of remote sense data being created every day. And we have sensors on everything. And we walk around with GPS chips in our pockets. And we're continuously discovering new applications for this data. And, And I sort of And I'm very aware that the whole landscape has changed from when I started 20 years ago. And I don't, when I say I worry that I'm not keeping up with it, you know, it's not, it doesn't keep me awake at night, but I recognize that the technology is changing rapidly. And if you ask me, what do I think is the really exciting space? At the moment, it's remote sensing. I think that's the most exciting stuff going on because it's no longer just images of the planet or or heat or anything like that it's being turned into incredibly smart products yeah i, um, I agree we've, we've seen some we've seen some very impressive applications on that side but it's a, it, I, what, one thing i like is that the just in the 10 years we've been having the geomob event in london the barriers to entry in terms of getting access to data the quality of the software as you say the open source tools that are available it's gotten so much better and as a result you know the barrier from i have a fun idea to let me build a prototype to maybe let me let me try to get together a, a company or something around this you know that barrier has really come down so I, I think that's true, but I think we can get dazzled by all the quick, simple things that people can do with the toolkits and the data that are available. And a lot of that is a bit trivial, in my opinion. You know, I mean, and I, I know I'm always one of these cynical guys who says, so, what, so what's the point of that? But, you know, a lot of the stuff which is putting putting points on maps and sort of tracking where you've been and what you've done or who's near you is relatively trivial. You know, it's stuff that's been done again and again and again. You know, I think the real exciting stuff is going to be in the artificial intelligence, the machine learning, those sorts of big data, really big data projects. And 
you know, that stuff isn't quite so accessible to a tiny startup with limited resources. You know, that's where you need real brain power. Yeah, I, I, I so completely agree. That is cool stuff. I nevertheless think that you may be underestimating the value in simplicity and accessibility and taking things that are trivial to the GIS professional and making them you know, usable and easily accessible. I, I think there's a lot of value in that. So. so let me challenge you with that just for a second. We're probably 20 years into widespread geo, you know, consumer geo, I would say I would say 20 years since Google Maps came out I would say that was for me as kind of the watershed moment yeah I agree and that was 2004 if I remember so we're 16 years so since and I'm glad you mentioned Google Maps because you know that I think was the game changer that was that was the event that defined the whole class the whole space that we work in what has been truly revolutionary, game-changing since Google Maps? Well, I would say mobile is the other, the other pillar there. That The fact that everyone now has a device that knows exactly where they are and can access all the information of the world at all times. So those two together. So Google Maps in terms of making it simple for people to interact with the map, to layer data on top of the map, and the mobile device that lets them do that anywhere. And of course, then on the next step is, you know, that the mobile device is also collecting data, you know, which of course then opens all this privacy issues, which is also a big topic that we can probably yeah. explore. Fundamentally, what I'd say is, you know, that whilst we've seen hundreds of businesses, thousands of businesses start up in the space, and a number of them have succeeded and are still here, the defining application remains Google Maps. And Google Maps on your phone now is the way that most people navigate. Uh, it's the way that you find things, that you make choices using Google Maps. That is the killer thing, you know, and most of the other things tend to sort of to shrink into almost insignificance compared to that. But, I mean, well, that's not to say... I don't know about that. I mean, I mean yes, there's, there aren't things as big as Google Maps, but there are still massive, you know, billion dollar business opportunities. I mean, if you look at the the things like Internet of Things and as you talked about remote sensing and I mean, mm. okay, they're not bus- they're not Google Maps in terms of consumer impact, but in terms of value they can create. But perhaps this is a debate for, you know, t- today let's maybe just carry on with our discussion of your background. But but we can see okay. there are a lot of topics here that we'll need to go deeper on in the coming months. Absolutely. And also with, not just, of course, with ourselves, but with the help of the various guests that have, of the experts who have spoken at, at you. Yeah, we definitely need to get some people who know what they're talking about <laughs> rather than just rather than us. Sort of opinionating. <laughs> well, let's keep going. One, one thing that I quite like about Geomob is that we don't just have the success stories or the startup who's uh, say, oh, you know, we're going to change the world and we're the greatest. We also occasionally have people talking about products that they they started that failed or didn't, let's say, did, you know, didn't work out the way they had perhaps hoped. And you were involved with one project like that as well, the OSM GB initiative a, a few years mm-hmm. ago. You want to briefly talk about that one? Okay. So OSM GB was an idea that came up from lots of conversations with people in the public sector who were really interested and enthusiastic about OpenStreetMap, but was struggling to 
interact with the OpenStreetMap community and to access the data. And at the time, I was an external lecturer at Nottingham University, and I was working with a team there led by Jeremy Morley, who's another geomobber and is now head of research at the Ordnance Survey. And together we set up the OSMGB project. And the, what we did was we built a stack which imported Great Britain OpenStreetMap into a database. And it used one spatial's rules-based technology to carry out a load of automated quality checks. You know, things like buildings couldn't overlap each other or bridges had to go over rivers, not under rivers. And, and of course, there are infuriating exceptions to most of these rules, as we discovered. I mean, it was one of the pro problems with the project. And we were made, able to make some improvements to the data. And if I'm honest, they weren't dramatic improvements. We, we worked on the geometric quality of the data. But to be fair, OpenStreetMap, even then, was pretty good quality. What year was this, roughly? I'm I mean, 2012 it was about or so, 2012, 2013, that sort of okay. time, maybe 2014. And what we did, which was valuable, I think, was we served the data using OGC standard services, you know, WMS, WFS, and we built a tel service as well. And we did all of that in OSGB projection uh, coordinate system, which meant that people working in UK public sector could consume those web services and use them with all of their other data and with ordnance survey data to, um, you know, in their day-to-day -day work, because most of the UK public sector works in, sure, in their own, British uh, National Grid. Direction. They don't work in Web Mercator. And people liked it and they used it, but when push came to shove, they didn't want to pay for it. And so after about 18 months, we shuttered the project, you know. There are a lot of lessons that we learned, but I think, you know, if I was going to give two lessons. One, it's difficult for an outside organization to interact with the OpenStreetMap community. They're not enthusiastic about having sort of bulk updates loaded back into the OpenStreetMap database. And whilst we were flagging potential quality issues, we couldn't really engage with mappers on the, on the ground to actually look at them and potentially repair them. So that was one issue, and I don't think we were going to solve that. But the bigger one was that, to be honest, however good OpenStreetMap is, it's not going to have authority in the public sector. Hmm. It can't do. And if your client base, the people you were looking to work with, need authoritative data, then I don't think OpenStreetMap can fill that gap. I'm sure there are applications for it. In fact, I know there are applications for it. Well, this is this is fascinating. I mean, it, lots to unpack here because, first of all, in some ways, it's very similar to what we do with our business at OpenKH, where we we build heavily on OpenStreetMap, and these questions come up with customers all the time. Then we should definitely get Jeremy back. You guys should have a discussion and talk about all the lessons learned, but also what has changed in the in the five years since then. And then finally, your your point that the need of public sector to to have the credibility, the stamp of credibility that comes with official government data. This is actually a discussion I've had here in Barcelona with, you know, here in Barcelona, we have the, the Catalan mapping agency. 
Yeah. And they have a very similar discussion about what role, you know, how, how should they, on the one hand, we have this amazing resource of OpenStreetMap and this, this motivated community that's working very hard to improve things. On the other hand, you know, it, how to use it, how to interact with that community, how that, you know, it raises a lot of interesting issues. So it's something we should definitely explore more in the coming episodes and, and, and weeks and months. So I think we I think we have no material. I mean, a whole another topic is is the work you've done for for Phosphor G. Unfortunately, you know, whatever I I think we may have to save that for another episode because I don't want to open that whole can of worms if we can't go deep on it. it just because I you know, in the interest of keeping our our episode under thirty minutes. And then we have the whole issue of of investing in startups. You know, as someone, I lived in London for 10 years and witnessed the entire boom of the tech scene and have been involved in that and had a startup of my own. So I think we have a lot of topics that we can go deep on there. Let me, let's close out with one um, final question that I, that I think we should maybe make a regular question for whenever we interview people. But you've been someone who's been attending Geomob for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. And also you've actually made the trip here to Barcelona where we also have Geomob and, and attended mm-hmm. the first ever Geomob Barcelona. Any, any favorite memories that you have? Any talks that stand out or any? Um... Oh, there's so many, Ed. There's so many. But I think one of the biggest surprises was Liz Scott, the bird lady. Um, oh, yeah, mapping the bird migration. Yeah. yeah, and mapping bird populations. And it was like, it was just, it wasn't really about mapping, it was about birds, but there was a bit of mapping thrown in. And she was just brilliant, you know, and she made us, she got us all interested in the, and she made us laugh. So that was one of my favorites. I loved when Chris Wesson talked about the Ordnance Survey mapping Mars cartography project, you know, just the idea that we were creating a map, they were creating maps of Mars, you know, the UK National Mapping Agency. Very cool. I love, uh, probably the most exciting moment ever for me at a Geomob was when Ivan Gayton, uh, is he mapping Sans Frontières, you know, or he's one of the... Yeah, he's involved in NGO work in, in Africa. In NGO, that's right. And he brought a he was showing us he brought a drone into the room where we were holding the geomob i think it was at the british computer society and then he goes and takes the bloody thing off and flies the drone over the heads of all the people sitting there and it was a disaster waiting to happen but it didn't it was very exciting though all right well it wasn't just a drone it was an open source drone was well, so all the components yeah. could be 3d printed and and quite cheaply yeah. assembled that was the whole uh, yeah yeah that was it cool it was a do it yourself it was cool my pal Kem field with his cheese map last year very tasty very creative i agree very tasty very cool mark eilif talking about open defecation points that's in dar es salaam um that was pretty interesting and the last one i'll give you for today but i'll think of some more for the next time we chat was um do you remember anna powell smith of course of course she's she's spoken Uh, several times yeah, but the one time when they they just launched that map that showed foreign ownership of UK properties. Who owns Britain? Who owns, I think. Who was... owns Britain, yeah. And I thought that was, like, I mean, like one, it was really, it had enormous impact, you know, because it made people aware of the extent to which there's foreign ownership of UK property. It was brilliant use of technology. They did some really smart stuff to scrape this data out of the land registry 
stuff that was available. Uh, it was just a great presentation. So they're yeah, my she, ones. She, she is always good. I actually, I mean, that, there, no doubt that was impressive, but I actually preferred her other talk, which she gave a few years prior, where she took the, uh, the Doomsday book and mapped it over and, and, and overlaid it with current maps. And you could, you know, you could actually see some of the land use patterns were the same and some of the boundaries were the same. That was really right. cool. Yeah. So, um, She's done some brilliant stuff. Yeah. So what would, yeah. Give me a couple of your favorites. I know you're asking me the questions, but let's turn <laughs> it around. Give me a couple of your favorites. I mean, some of them, I, uh, who doesn't like the cheese map, of course. What I like is the diversity, that we never know what we're going to get. You know, I, I thought I've enjoyed many of the kind of more hobbyist style projects. Mm -hmm. Who else? We're fortunate to have some good, you know, we often have Geomob in London at UCL, so sometimes we get some of the academics. Uh, Ali O'Brien has presented about his cycle yeah. map, which is very cool. Who else? I also, like, I like the startups that are kind of taking the technology and trying to have an interesting business case around it. I don't know. You put me on the spot here a little bit. I don't have a, I don't have a, a list per se, but I like the, what, it, what for me is the power of Geomob is the diversity is that it's, yeah. it's big and small. It's hobbyists, it's academics, it's, and you never know. And then one thing that I always remark upon is, you know, people volunteer to speak and sometimes you, you know, I get the topics and I think, Oh wow, this will be a great talk. And, it, and it, for whatever reason, it, it, it doesn't live up to the promise. And then other times you have people who have, you know, seemingly very boring topics, but they, they really make it compelling, be the visuals or, or how they tell the story. And, and then finally, I, I like also the talks where, you know, we've had several people who kind of are, who have come, have spoken several times and they kind of, you know, you kind of get the where are they now kind of update. And mm -hmm. a good example of that is, is Splash Maps, you know, Splash Map David, he started, yep. he, he came with the first prototype when it was just a Kickstarter project. And now he, now it's a business. And, and so, you know, it's cool. To, it's, it's, yeah. it's a fun thing. We've also, I mean, also here in Barcelona now, we've had, you know, we just had our fourth event and it's starting to develop along the same lines. So it's really encouraging. Yeah. So Just thinking of David, you know, I, you know, I and probably quite a few other geomobbers backed that Kickstarter, you know, I don't know, seven years ago now. And he's turned that into a full-time business. You know, there's several of them working at that and it's a proper business, you know, and uh, who would have thought you could make a business out of printing maps onto fabric, but he's done it, you know, and that's a sure. GMob success. Um, oh. and in fact, that would be a nice thing to do one. Yes, one yes, weekend, well, definitely. Well, is to actually look at some of the, the business successes that have come out of GMob, you know, the people who, who've gone on to be very successful following on from GMob, and of course, our friends at Carto are probably the the biggest winner in that state. Oh, there have been quite a few. We had City Mapper when they were quite small. We had, uh, yeah. We had yeah, we could compile a list. Anyway, I yeah. think it's clear we have a lot to talk about. So um, yeah. I, I hope all the listeners have enjoyed our discussion today, and um, I hope everyone follows along. And you know, our goal will be every two weeks or so we'll put out a kind of 30 minute podcast where we either it, it'll be us discussing the issues of the day or, or uh, interviewing some of the people who have spoken. What are your hopes for the podcast, Stephen? What, what would make it a case? Okay. So number one, let's have some fun. You, me, and all the people listening to it. Of course, it would be nice if lots of people listened to us, but you know, to be honest, we've got to enjoy doing this. And number two, let's see if we can discover the next big thing. Let's see. Let's see. I hold out a lot of hope. So, um, 
Okay. All right. Well, a few points as we wrap up for you, our listeners. Um, if anyone has any feedback for us on today's discussion or any suggestions or would like to volunteer to interview or things like that, please, of course, do get in touch. And please, you know, if you know of someone else who might enjoy coming along to Geomob, please let them know, but also um, share the podcast with them. Of course, if you are not yet on our mailing list, please do get on it and find that at thegeomob.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, where our, our handle is geomob. Um, you can also follow Stephen and myself, and I'll, I'll put in, in the show notes our various links. Please check out Stephen's project, which is mapry.org, which we'll go into a lot more detail on in a future episode, or my project, which is OpenCage. Yeah, and our next in-person events will be in London on the 18th of March and in Munich on the 26th, uh, which will actually be my first time attending a Munich event. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I think that's all we have for today. So I look forward to talking again in the future soon. Bye. Okay. Look forward to speaking to you soon, Ed. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.